Let's get started. Well, welcome everyone to this edition of Human Wisdom Live. And today we're going to be talking about dealing with sorrow and loss, which is part of being human and the grief that follows. My guest today is Lynn Staley, who is a life coach and a bereavement coach, if I may call you that, Lynn, uh, from Chicago. But I'll, uh, hello, welcome, Lynn. Perhaps Thank you'd you. like to say something about yourself and your experience. Yes, I have been a companion to grievers for 20 years now. And it came from a profound loss of my own and recognizing that we don't really have a good idea of how to show up for one another in loss. And so I decided that was a role I wanted to play with people. And so I've been companioning people, guiding people, meeting them where they are, and hopefully helping them create the next chapter of their life. Okay. Well, in this um, session, we're going to be exploring five or six key questions. Who, what do we grieve for? What are the causes of grief in our lives? How do we experience this grief? And how do we respond when we feel this grief? Um, how can we respond with wisdom? How can we help someone else who's grieving? And how can we prepare ourselves, if it is at all possible, for this? Lynn and I are going to speak for about 30 minutes. And after that, we'd love to hear your insights, your questions, your thoughts. Uh, because this is just part of being human. So Lynn, let's start with a simple one. What are the different kind of things we grieve for? Well, I like to use a really broad brush definition of loss, and it's really anything that didn't go the way we pictured. But typically we think of it as death, divorce. It might be job loss or a health diagnosis. Mm -hmm. It could be family estrangement. There are so many things that would be unique circumstances to you. Yes, it could be a pet too. Some, some of us get very attached to pets. You know, they become part of our lives too. Right? Yes, um, we have a relationship with our pets. Yes. Sometimes retiring for people feels like they're entering a period of grief because it's suddenly it's a change of circumstance they don't know how to cope with. Their loss of status, for example, I might have been president of a company or a country, <laughs> you know, and yeah. so on. Okay. Now, how do we experience this grief? Of course, it. Why does it vary so much? How come one person feels it so much more intensely than another? Well, grief is the normal, natural, innate response to disappointment and loss. We all grieve, but it's going to be influenced by our personality, our temperament, the, the circumstances of the relationship. You know, it's different if you've chosen to retire mm -hmm. as compared to being reorganized out of a job. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's going to be a unique reaction depending on your circumstances. And that's what makes it so challenging. And we, we're always seeking some kind of formula, help me get from A to B to C. And yet it really is meeting people where they are to, to start from their unique perspective. Yes. So the depth of our grief depends on 
the depth of our emotional attachment mm -hmm. to somebody or, or whatever it was that we have lost. So um, if you were meeting 100% of my emotional needs, then of course, the depth of my grief is going to be much more. Or if you were meeting all my financial needs, then suddenly I'm lost, you know. Uh, and so now the question is, do we grieve for the person we've lost or do we grieve for ourselves? What do you think? Well, I think you've really touched on something important, and that is this idea that we're in relationship with people, with um, a job, you know, the people in our job space, a pet. And so it does become about that our needs being met in, in that situation. And so it might suddenly change. So we're dealing with it um, in the moment, but it also may be something that we anticipate. We see the stress of it coming, you know, because it's on the horizon. But there's another aspect that I want to point out, and that is that sometimes it's about an attachment that never was. Right. Something that never was in place. If you had a parent that was very disconnected, or maybe you were in a situation that was quite toxic or abusive, you're grieving what never was. You know, yes. the hopes and dreams and expectations that were never fulfilled. And there's deep sadness to that. To that too, yes. And now grief is, of course, a very big word, but it consists of lots of other emotions which are part of it, and which is why it's so complex, because trying to make sense of it all isn't easy, because it could be fear, it could be loneliness, it could be anger, um, you know, and so on. Do you want to just expand a bit on that? Yes. You know, when I work with clients um, in the aftermath of loss, I start with the fact of it. You know, what, what happened? And sometimes I am the first person who asks them that question. Hmm. It's so uncomfortable in our culture to talk about grief and loss that we don't go there. So I want to know what are the facts? And then we get into the feelings. And that, again, is going to be so unique to the situation. Maybe it is, you know, people can connect to sadness, but when they dig underneath a little bit, they find out there's some disappointment, there's some anger frustration. Yes. And so we really do need to get into the feelings about it. And I encourage people to develop a feelings vocabulary. That is really a deficit, I think, in our culture, is that we don't really know how we're feeling. We really don't know what our reaction is. And then to connect to those feelings in the body because that is another piece of this feedback system that we have. Not only are emotions telling us something about our grief, where we store it in our body. And we all have patterns of stress. You know, it might be tension in your shoulders or in your jaw or a nervous stomach. But all of those are how grief might express itself. Right, so just to break it down, it's what happened that's the first thing. 
how I'm feeling, number two, and um, how we're feeling in the body, it's number three. But then also, how is this grief or loss going to affect our lives? And there, there are so many different ways. It affects us emotionally, physically, socially, we might be much more isolated. And of course, financially and spiritually too, because we might, you know, lose our confidence in our own spirituality, whatever it might be. How could this happen to me? You know, that you hear that so often, right? If there's a God, how could he have allowed or she allowed this to happen? Another aspect of this that you and I have talked about, Manoj, is that it also, our thinking is engaged. You know, even though I really want us to spend time talking about our emotional life, how it impacts us in our physiology, there are also patterns of thought that yes. you know, maybe we have habituated. And so I really, it in, impacts us cognitively as well. And we may have patterns of thought, maybe we're a worrier, maybe we go straight to fear. Maybe yes. we are very fatalistic, well, things never work out for me. Those kinds of things can really influence how we then um, move away from from this really hard experience. Yes. And, and you and I have talked about how um, we're wired for connection, yet mm -hmm. grievers tend to isolate. Yes, so that's my next question, which is, what are the different ways we respond to grief? And as you said, the first thing often people do is they tend to withdraw. Yes. I want to withdraw. I don't know why we humans do that, but we withdraw, whereas actually our deepest need is for connection. So let me tell you why I think that's true. Um, you know, again, culturally, we get these messages, and certainly from perhaps our family of origin, or even, you know, even the people close to us, um, that they really don't have a deep understanding of what we're going through. So we get these messages that really send us into this, well, I've got to, I've got to do this on my own. You know, we get messages like, um, uh, don't feel sad. You know, don't feel bad. He wouldn't want you to feel bad. You know, she's in a better place. He's no longer suffering. And it, it isn't said directly, you know, don't feel like this, but that's the underlying message of it. And so we retreat because it's, it's self-protective. And, and in the most, um, we all have this threshold that puts us into the stress response. And this could be one of those times in deep grief where we retreat, where we're sent into the, the stress response. It's the part of our brain that is safety seeking. It's the part of our brain that is self-protective. Uh, self and it's, think it's because nobody understands us or we feel because I was just thinking culturally, you know, in all cultures, when someone let's talk about death, someone dies. Everyone gathers around that person who's grieving. Whether whatever ceremony function, every culture has its own variation of that, because we know 
that the person who's grieving is going to feel, um, you know, uh, really bad and need support. But then after that one week or two weeks, it's, the show's over and you're left completely on your own. Well, and I think we've kind of outsourced that. You know, the funeral industry takes care of us in that way. It used to happen in our homes, in our parlor, where people came into our home and supported us that way. And there are certain cultures that that um, that do promote that idea. But I do think that's another reason that we don't feel supported is that maybe those rituals aren't in place like they used to be, or yes. they've been shortened, you know, so that that feeling of support is there and gone very quickly. So in and the so West, I feel it's, it's as you said, but in... In India, for example, or in other parts of Asia or Africa, I think there is that families coming home and, you know, that, that person feeling. But even that has a timeline. It's, you know, after a week or two weeks, everyone gets on with their lives and then you're left alone. So that brings me to my next question. So when we are grieving on our own, there's this intense emotional pain we're feeling. And the mind wants to escape from that. Right? because nobody wants to be in pain. We have a mind on fire. What are the different ways in which the human mind escapes or tries to escape from its pain? Let's so explore. I think if we take away this, the, the judgment I think that we often have toward ourselves and maybe others in their immediate reaction, and, and we think this is self-protective. This is a way to dose myself with the reality that has so sent me reeling or toppled me over. But I do think that, you know, there are things that we do in the short run to help us feel better, filling the void in some way. And it might be, you know, choosing to use um, alcohol or, you know, binge watching Netflix or, you know, something that we throw ourselves in as a way to keep that pain at bay. Yes. And it makes sense to me that we would dose ourselves in, in some way, shape, or form. But when it becomes maladaptive, when it's something that we choose and it becomes a chronic issue, that's when we it really needs to get our attention. But I think it's common. You know, even our culture, we have uh, commercials that promote the idea, you know, take out your credit card, go buy something for yourself to make yourself feel better. There are so many cultural constructs in place that help us move away from it instead of forward toward it. Yeah, and in fact, as we're going to discuss very shortly, that escaping doesn't actually help in the long term, on the in the medium to long term. So we can escape either through a new relationship or if a pet has died, we can get a new pet. But we can also escape through alcohol and drugs. And I have met people who had an incident, a bereavement 20 years ago, but they're still you know, suffering because they used alcohol or drugs. By the way, this is not a judgment. It's just to realize that this is what the mind does reflexly without our even our understanding or awareness. So if you're aware of this, then you can do something about it and realize that's not going to serve you in the long term. Yeah, and I, I love that you brought up this, the word and awareness. 
you know, I think that's where you have to start without judgment, just this, wow, here is where I'm at. And then move into inquiry, you know, you know, the why of it and, you know, to, to yes. really be curious about what's happening. Because I think we go into this self-judgment, I must not be, you know, have the willpower, I must not be strong enough. But to just notice, start from a place of noticing, wow, it's interesting that my thoughts go to worry, or my thoughts go to how I'm not capable in this moment, whatever it is, and just notice, because it's giving you good information about what needs tending, yes. what do you need to lean into as a response. So we talked about this last week, but we, we try to use our intellect to deal with emotions. And that doesn't work, you know. It's like throwing a little cup of water in, into a big roaring fire. It just doesn't make any difference. So as you said, when people say, uh, this will pass, and, you know, all the homilies that we are used to sharing with each other, to the person receiving them, it, it doesn't touch your grief, right? It feels insensitive. But and even those things, when they have, we have this saying in, in the South, there's a nickel's worth of truth in that. You know, when you hear these things, you hear, well, she's not suffering anymore. There's truth in that, you know, but, but when someone says it to you, it can feel diminishing. It can feel like it's minimizing your experience. And that's one of the reasons that grievers tend to isolate is that they don't feel understood in that way. Yes, yes. So it's a, we'll talk about that as to how we can help someone grieving. But my next question, which is perhaps um, the most important one of this session, is how could we respond with wisdom? How can we bring our innate wisdom to bear on dealing with the sorrow that we feel which is part of being human. Every human being is going to experience this. How can we deal with it using our wisdom? What's the first thing we could do? I would say the first thing to do is um, be honest with yourself about the hurt. Hmm. Because again, that's one of those things that we hear from our family or our culture is that we, we need to be strong. We need to be strong for others. And so what parents don't realize they're, they're modeling for their child when they go behind closed doors to, to have an emotional experience is they're inadvertently giving this message that it's not okay to feel and, and, and show emotion when something yes. sad happens. So give you know, yourself so permission if you like, yes. to express. And be honest about the depth of the pain, because I think, you know, we do a lot of comparing where we'll say, oh, you know, my, my loss isn't as bad as her loss. I shouldn't complain. Other people have it worse. I don't want to be the person who complains. There are all of these things that we do to ourselves. So yeah. I would say, to start with honesty, be authentic in terms of how you're, the depth of your feelings. The next thing I would say is, because we are wired for connection, mm -hmm. is to seek support. 
there are some brilliant people out there who are experts in grief and loss. But I do want to say this, not every therapist understands grief. So you really want to make sure that that's a good fit for you so that they, that you're not sitting across from someone who says, you know, um, go take your mind off it. And, you know, you know, give some of these unhealthy messages that, that, that make you move away from the grief as opposed to um, being with it and expressing it. Okay. So you've said two important things. Firstly is to be honest with yourself and maybe journaling is a really good way of um, connecting with what you're feeling. Excellent. So you could start by just writing down what happened, as we said, how we're feeling, how it's going to impact our lives, and how we're responding to that. You know, just to keep on, because it's it's a way of connecting with what's happening. So the mind wants to withdraw, whereas actually it's in its best interest to remain connected. The mind wants to escape, but it's in its best interest to be with. Let's talk about that, being with grief. How can we do that? And what are the benefits of that? So we've talked about this um, idea that we, we feel it and we can get connected to the emotional language of it. But that can be an intellectual response hmm. to sit with it, hmm. to, to just breathe with it. Hmm. You know, one of the, the pillars of the, the human wisdom project is that, you know, quieting the mind, which is a challenging thing to do in grief. Hmm. But, but maybe, there, maybe there's a way to lean into that so that you're hmm. sitting just with your own breath. Yes. Yes. Sitting with yourself, and and that could be part of that honest exploration. Like, what am I really feeling, and where am I feeling in my, in in my body? So now I have. Okay. I want to. Sorry, I, go ahead. I want to share one more thing about this. I went to a trauma workshop. A brilliant mm -hmm. man. His name is Robert Rotan, and he's the Arizona Trauma Center director. And he said something to our class that I will never forget. He said, of primary importance is getting your client into a relaxed body. And you can imagine heads were spinning in this room. Like, what? How in, how in the world is that possible when someone is in tremendous distress? But it really is essential that we move toward that because we cannot learn new information. We cannot focus and problem solve and make good decisions if we're in the stress response, that overwhelm that takes our brain offline, that primitive yes. part of our brain that is protective. So I think, again, if you're talking about what are these things that we can do is leaning into ways finding support for ways that we can calm our nervous system in a very stressful time. So I think one of the key things with any powerful emotion is if we can meet it without language, without thinking, without intellect, just breathe into it, let it flower, if you like, fully in us. Don't escape from it. Eventually, like any fire, it rises and it dies away. Whereas if you don't 
experience it or allow yourself to experience it fully, then it follows you all your life, you know, because it's not been addressed or dealt with. And it's not easy to do, by the way, is it? It's really difficult because the mind is screaming, hey, I want to run away from this pain. And it will come back around to get your attention. And how do we know? We're going to feel strong emotions in our body. We're going to feel physical sensations in our body. Um, and, And that's what allows us to know what needs tending and what needs attention. Yes. So, okay. So one's done that. One's reached out to people for support, friends, family. One has done this work of being with, but on a practical day-to-day basis, what are the small things we can do to help ourselves? Well, another aspect of the weight of grief is what um, the grief recovery method calls undelivered emotional communication. So imagine something happens to you suddenly, and then you come face to face with all of the things that didn't get said, the things that, that didn't happen, you weren't able to do. So finding a way for expression, you know, that this is, I think, probably the most important thing I'd like to say is that we integrate the grief experience. It doesn't get put behind us. Hmm. Um, I think some of the language we use of getting over grief, you know, that kind of thing can really get in the way because it really is about experiencing it and expressing it. So what you said before, journaling, being able to talk to someone about it. There's a study, uh, Rick Hansen, who wrote Hardwiring Happiness, he, he points to that says, stating our challenges aloud reduces stress hormones in our body. Right. So well, all communication does. Yes. And contrast that to this tendency of us to isolate and retreat in really difficult circumstances. I would love to normalize the idea of how do we give expression? How do we give grief the attention it deserves? Yes. But if you wanted to go deeper, grief is also an opportunity to learn about yourself. And what it is to be human. For example, to learn about anger, to learn about loneliness, to learn about fear, uh, guilt, and you know all those emotions that arise. Uh, it's a window into the deeper layers of our own thinking to understand. And the more you understand, the more freedom you experience. Because otherwise, for example, guilt can really eat away at people. You know, I wish I had done this or said that or in so many ways. Yes, and regret. I th- I hear so yes. much about people regretting um, what didn't get said or maybe what did get said, what didn't mm-hmm. happen, maybe what did happen. All of the things that, you know, if we're talking about the ending of a relationship through death, divorce, estrangement it might be the things that will now never happen Mm -hmm. that deserves expression 
you yes. know, to say, this is challenging for me to have this regret, these unfinished things. Now we've talked about, we're talking about pain, of course, here all the way through, but actually, if we face it properly with wisdom, we can emerge from this period of grief much stronger with a renewed sense of the importance of life and the lack of importance of many of the things that we, uh, we thought were important beforehand, right? So I've heard from people who say this loss experience means the grass is greener. I see what's important. I mean, it just, it's all become clear to me, but you can also have people who are so mad at God or they're wrestling with, is there a God? I mean, it really is all of these things, but you're right. It, it is one of those opportunities that comes to we human beings to really figure some things out, sort some things out. Yeah. And the gift in it is that I am now stepping into my relationships in a new way. I hear this from grievers all the time. I am going to now be the person who shows up in a new way because I want to be the person I never had to companion me in grief. Right. Loss changes you. And, and what does that look like when you create the next chapter after loss? And also it reminds you that every time I go to a funeral, for example, that life is fragile. It's impermanent. We take time for granted. You know, we take people for granted. And we sweat all the small stuff, you know. And actually, this gives always gives me a renewed passion for life, for living for focusing on what's important, love, relationships, and letting go of all the stuff that, you know, doesn't really contribute to much uh, in, in the long term. But you mentioned something there that I'd like to pick up on, which is how can we help someone who's grieving? Because often we're at a loss. You know, we're not used to, this doesn't happen every day. How do you meet and help somebody who's grieving? So the best advice I got in the moment of a profound loss of mine was just show up because so many people won't. So that's why I like the word companioning because it, it sets in my mind, this image of sitting next to someone, you're not handing them advice. You're not trying to fix the situation. You know, I think we we just really want to make someone feel better. And so we think, what can I do? What can I do? Can I bring them something to eat? Can I? And all of those things are lovely, tangible things. But the sitting next to someone, allowing them to be who they are in that moment of loss, sit in the puddle of their tears with them is the, the first place to start. It's so counterintuitive because our instinct is to try and ease someone's pain. Whereas what we're saying here is just first have empathy, be there, be with. Just as they are being with their pain, you're 
being with them and their pain. And I think that's that's an important thing. And how okay. many times have we been, I have one more thing, thought about this. How many times have we been in that circumstance where we think, I don't know what to say. So I, and then we stay away. And how does that uh, feel to the griever? You know, pe- that again, gives them that message that people aren't there for me. This yes. is going to be a singular experience. I am on my own in this. And that's I don't know how to deal with someone who's got divorced, for example. So I don't talk to them at all, exactly. <laughs> you know, or someone who's lost a child. How do I right. deal with that? What could I say? So you just stay away. And again, exactly. the staying away is not the right thing to do, right? Okay. My last question is, how can we all prepare ourselves for loss, for grieving, for for losing things we love? Because it's going to be part of being human. What are the few things we could could consider? I told Manoj that I thought we should all have a file folder in in our file cabinets that we could turn to. Because when you are in grief, it is very reactive. And we, and then we're drawing on things from our early learnings, which may or may not be helpful to us. Mm. So I end up answering this question kind of in a philosophical way. And that is, how do we maintain our relationships, mm. keeping our relationships up to date as much as possible so we don't have unfinished business? Yes. In this moment that we 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 won't be prepared for, you know, it's just it is uh, there are some things that we can see coming. Even then, we may have a really strong reaction to it. So my thought is that really tend to your relationships. Yes. And I think about things needing to be said. Don't leave them unsaid. Yes. So that would be kind of my philosophical reaction to this. No, very important. Be, be prepared and in the sense that you're you're really taking care of these precious family members and friends and, and work relationships and telling people how much you value them because the weight of grief is that undelivered emotional communication. Quite right. And also after we lose people, we're going to experience loneliness. So you can prepare for that by learning to be alone now and being comfortable with being alone. Take time out, go and spend a week on your own, become comfortable with being alone. So when grief comes and you are left alone, you're okay with that because you've, you've, you've done that work or you're gonna be dealing with fear of the future well, deal with fear now, <laughs> understand, go to the root of fear, and so on. So there are many things that we can do to prepare ourselves, but also learn how to, as we said, when we are grieving, we need to meet grief like that. Like it's an old friend. So learn to deal with or meet strong emotions now in the same way, whether it's anger or stress or fear, to be with an emotion. And all of this work, of course, is part of the human wisdom project. You know, it's what we're trying to do. Give people the tools to to learn all this um, so they can live their best lives. 
Yes. yes, I think there's a lot of inquiry that comes into play in grief. Mm. You know, if we move toward it and not away from it, mm. we start from this place of just really checking in with, wow, what does this mean for me? Mm. And then this kind of exploration that you're talking about. And it may feel like the crooked path initially because we move away in a very protective way, but we're going to get drawn back into it. It's going to get our attention again. And yes. that is our cue for, for this kind of exploration. And that's why I love um, that you're doing these conversations, not just to shine a light on a topic that's, you know, that's really important to me, but to, to give a window into the Human Wisdom Project and for people to meet you and to know that there are tools out there yes. for us to do this important inquiry and, um, and create a next chapter in our lives that is really rich and vibrant. And, um, you know, it's not going to be perfect and um, happy all the time. But what a wonderful um, tool to really, and, and I keep using the word audacious, this audacious goal to bring peace to the world. And it starts yeah. here. Well, let me um, just show everyone around the new Human Wisdom app, which has uh, just been launched with new design and features. And then uh, everyone, if you could keep your comments or decide what you're going to say, we're gonna to come to you in about three minutes. Um, so this is a very quick tour of what's going on and um, some of the things that uh... okay. So this is the um, new um, human wisdom. Um, sorry, I'm just gonna skip that and okay. This is the new human wisdom app. It's on your computer on the web, but it's also on the Apple store and Google store. We had lots of new features. It begins with this introduction section, which is free. So you can download the app and start looking at it now. We've added this section called, how can wisdom help me? And it's got um, nine videos on how uh, it can help you deal with any of these emotions like anxiety or stress or addiction or uh, and so on. So all this is, of course, part of being human and something that uh, wisdom can help with. Then there's a new section called my daily practice. So every day you come, there will be a different breathing exercise that you can um, do or a question of the day or a quotation to inspire you. Um, an audio meditation or just a daily challenge. Like this one is sit to the pen and paper and for 10 minutes, just write down every thought that crosses your mind and watch how your mind quietens, if you can do that. Um, then we've organized the app in terms of how, what your interests are. So it's personalized. So for example, there's a whole section on dealing with sorrow and loss. So if you are grieving, you'll find all the resources here, uh, how to deal with loss, the different modules to explore, 
life stories, um, guided questions like a little coach in your pocket, short videos, uh, podcasts, and um, events. So, you know, for example, we did one on can wisdom prevent war and some guided meditation. So lots of different types of content is now available uh, on the app. And other than that, it's um, we've got life stories, short videos. There's a whole section on uh, dealing with grief and loss. I'll show you. Uh, so here, how to live with wisdom, uh, dealing with death, for example, is a module of its own. And there's a whole module on sorrow and loss. So I'd leave everyone to explore that um, for themselves. But again, more we can prepare ourselves for these things. When the challenges of life come, we're ready. Uh, section on managing, developing a calm mind, understanding how your mind works, and so on. So there's a lot of different content there. As I said, it's free to browse. Please just download and have a look. It's called Human Wisdom, One Word. Um, Would welcome anyone who wants to send me an email, connect with me. Um, I would love to continue this conversation. I do have quite a rich um, library um, on yes. this topic. And um, I, I just welcome this conversation. I think it's extremely important. You see, I think in closing, what I'd like to say is death is part of life. It's a cliche. But talking about death and reflecting on it and all of the things around it actually can help you live a richer life. So we've got this module on the app called Dealing with Death. And just exploring everything around it, for me, it makes me live a richer life. I know my life is impermanent. And as we said, Lynn, we take care of it uh, in ways that we wouldn't if we thought we were going to live forever. But thank you very much, Lynn uh, Staley from Chicago and all my guests from around the world uh, for your contributions this afternoon. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you. This podcast comes to you from the Human Wisdom Project. To find out more, please visit our website, humanwisdom.me. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.